Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. What um, I'm sharing with you is something that we have shared so many times, but it is so important. So, so important. You see, um, many years ago, I had this subtle disdain for allegorical preaching. People who always, you, you know, had illustrations and used props. I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, why too extra? Just preach the Bible. But as I studied, I discovered that Jesus and the apostles taught like that so many times. So many times. I call it scenario preaching, where he tells you, you know, what to do with the word of God in particular situations. And that's, that's the benefit of illustrations. It is one thing to say, walk in love. It is another thing to know what love will do in a particular situation. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I've realized that many people don't know how to draw the parallels until they are unified in one line. So Jesus tells you, if you go to the temple or to the order to offer your sacrifice and there you remember that someone had ought against you. He said, leave your sacrifice first and first go and make peace. Now that's very instructive because many people have heard a thousand sermons on love but somehow they can manage a devotional life at the expense of relationships, key relationships. And what I'm telling you at, at different degrees, we are all working on that. And so he's letting you know, there mustn't be that divide. Paul did the same thing too. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, he used the metaphor or the illustration of sports to describe commitments to ministry. He says, don't you know that in a race, he used racing it says many run, but one receives the price. It says so run that you may obtain. So this gives us a perspective to ministry. He's not just telling you, oh, be committed in ministry. He's giving you a picture. So when you think of ministry in racing terms, there are things that will come to mind. You think of the commitment of an athlete who will rehearse at least four years. Everything he eats, everything he does, is with that race in view. If it's a 100-meter sprint, the race is going to last at least, maybe at most, 12 seconds for the last person. So just imagine preparing. Think about where you were four years ago, just so that you understand how long the time of preparation I'm talking about is. So for four years, you were preparing for 12 seconds. That's just the intensity of focus we're talking about here. And when he uses that metaphor to describe ministry, then you realize the type of commitment that ministry requires. Did you just hear what I said? You realize, oh, ministry must require a great commitment. Spiritual devotion must require a great commitment. And not just that, 
There is a competition in ministry. Many people don't know this. Where Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You have to understand that no ideology can rise in any civilization without it rising at the expense of other civil ideologies. So if the, the gospel of Jesus Christ will rise in popularity in your day, it will be at the expense of other ideologies. And whether you like it or not, there must be that sense of competition. Jude said the same thing. He says, contend for the faith that was once delivered. Meaning that Greek word actually means to compete. Meaning there are other things that are trying to make sure that the gospel doesn't prevail. Compete to make sure those things are defeated. That's why the Bible says in the city of Ephesus, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Why would you say prevailed if that's not a competitive mindset? He said prevailed because there was another ideology in that city before the gospel came. But the gospel prevailed so much that the Bible says the people gathered their curious arts. The, all their works of magic, all their books, all, their, all the funny things that they use. And they set it ablaze. The gospel prevailed so much that the people who were helping them make their idols, silversmiths, it was a big business in the city. They began to lose money. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, so, if you don't have this perspective, you will be easily satisfied. When you have 200 members in your church, 100 members in your church, you would think you have arrived. Meanwhile, it's not about you. God said, ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Ask of me. So there is an audacity that is required for end time ministry. He said, ask of me. If you would ask me, your focus must align with the focus of God. Ask of me. And then of course, when you're running a race... There is a sense of urgency too. No one runs a race taking his time. You are time conscious. Because that's one thing all sporting events have in common. They are not indefinite. Are you getting what I'm saying? Football is 90 minutes, you know. Um, for sprints, it is the first to get to the line. So you must do ministry with a sense of urgency. If you do ministry without a sense of urgency, you're not doing it right. Jesus is coming again. Now, that's a sense of urgency. He's coming again. He's coming again. Mark my words. When we are 10 as a ministry, which will be very soon, I will still preach like this. Because God wants to raise in you an army. There is a sense of vision that you must have. 
where God tells 11 people who were mostly fishermen, and he says, go into all the world and teach all nations. When you tell a fisherman to go to all the world, he must dream big. He must dream big. All he knew was the pond close to his house, the river close to his house, and catching fish to sustain his family for the next week. And now you tell him, go into all the world. Meaning there is a picture. Let me tell you something. You cannot do ministry until God implants in your mind a vision. So he takes Abraham out in the cool of the day. He could have just told Abraham, simply, I'm going to give you many children. But there is a principle of meditation in ministry where he says, look at the stars. See if you can count them. So now Abraham is counting. Counting. And that is casting an image in his mind. And he says, that's how many children I'm going to give you. Are you getting me now? There must be an image in your mind. An image. In your generation, there must be an image. If you are a good student of history, you will know that it only takes few people. After all, the gospel got to you on the account of the faithfulness of 11 men. Are you aware? So now the question is, what, what will your children say about your time? That's the question you must ask yourself. What is your contribution? What will the next generation say? What will you do the gospel at this, with, this, with, with the gospel in your time? Hallelujah. Many of the fathers in the faith in this country, you know, these are things people don't talk about. Many of the fathers in the faith in this country are about to retire, whether you like it or not. Many of them are in their 70s, approaching 80. That's why you, 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 you must reckon that you are not a child. You're not a child. You are the one who will stand at the gate and make transactions for the gospel now. It's in your hands now. You are the one who is going to confront Satan on, on account of this nation. You are the one. Just in case no one has told you, it's your time. It's your time. It's your time. So there must be a sense of urgency, a sense of commitment, and a sense of competition. I was watching throwback videos, secular videos, and, well, they still had one thing in common. They still had video vixens. But all of them were so decently dressed. It was amazing. And what they were wearing that looks like decent dressing now was still a stretch that time. I'm not getting what I'm saying. And people don't understand how culture is formed. You know, we had this panel conversation about how to 
um, reach the mainstream, mainstream world of the gospel. And we invited some people on the panel, one of whom was one of my favorite comedians, SLK. And he gave a powerful illustration about a pastor, a new pastor in a church who felt the lactin of the church ought to be at the center. But that church was used to having it on the side. And he tried to talk to the elders of the church. Let's have it at the center. And none of them agreed. So he came up with a strategy. He said every Sunday, he will move the lactin by an inch. And so a Sunday will come, he'll move it by an inch. Because it's an inch, no one noticed. The next week comes, he moves it by another inch. Because it's an inch, no one noticed. Until eventually it was at the center. And no one had any issue with it. That's what some people have done with our culture. It's amazing what people sing and get away with. It's amazing what people do. And guess what? You have been desensitized without knowing. We don't even react anymore. We don't even react anymore. You, 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 you must reckon yourself to be a voice. You must speak with the audacity of God. Let me tell you this. <laughs> Pride is discerned not just in actions but in motives. Strictly speaking, you cannot discern pride just by actions. You cannot. You cannot. You know, growing up in the church, I wondered about how some people went about stuff. It, it, it actually irritated me. There was this lady who joined the choir. I was a drummer then, this church, years ago. This was about... 2005 thereabouts and the choir leader I think was going to travel and this lady was so young and vibrant and could sing great everybody knew even an idiot knew who the next choir leader would be you are born again filled with the spirit you know and then one day the pastor announced the new choir leader is sister so and so and she started crying <laughs> What is the meaning of this? I was a lot younger, but I knew this rubbish now. Are you going to lie? Are you surprised? She thought it would be cool. That, ah, they would say, I'm selfless. <laughs> it doesn't work that way in our kingdom. You see, preachers, who you are the invited guest to. Then you step into the hall and then you sit at the back for humility. Then all the protocol are begging you, ah, sir, move forward, please, sir. I mean, now, do you know, sitting at the back is pride because you have distracted, everybody's looking now, ah, you're so humble, you're proud. In drawing attention to yourself, you are proud. So people need to be arrogant because you have some things. They think that way because if they were in your shoes, that's how they will act. I said all of that to say this. 
in, in, you know, in the world. When you're talking about yourself, you say, well, not to boast. Yeah, I get Everybody is ignoring the goat debate. Maybe in different fields. Like, no, I, I can't really say that, you know. Let other people say. But in our kingdom, if you don't say it, you will not see it. You must say it with your chest. So after Jesus had fasted and returned in the fullness of the Spirit, in the synagogue, they said, does anyone have any reading? He raised his hand. He volunteered. And opened and read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel unto the poor. To the opening of blind eyes. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your eye. The Bible says everybody was looking at him. Everybody started looking at him. What I'm telling you is this. If you don't stand up and say what God has instructions, many things calling for our attention. We must keep the focus in view. Are you with me? We must keep the focus in view. Because he says, when the end comes, many will be going about their modus operandi. Some will be getting married. Some will be given to marriage. And then the end will come. And you know marriage is God's idea. There are a lot of good things in the world that are the will of God, but must never replace the central purpose of all men. Praise the name of the Lord. And like I said, this lifetime is all you have. When you see Jesus, I, you will wish you could go back and do more for him. And you will not be able to. So this lifetime is all you have. Tell the person by your side, say this lifetime is all you have. Say, give God your lifetime. Hallelujah. So we have defined purpose as that one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. Think deeply about that. John chapter 21. From verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, and maybe as you read it, you can put your own name. Just imagine Jesus asking you, do you love me? And you might sing it in a thousand songs. I love you more than anything. I love you. You are more precious than silver or gold. But guess what? Love is an action. Love moves. Love constraints. Love motivates. 
You, you literally don't have to tell anyone. We can see it. Are you with me? And so he says, well, if you do, when he says, ah, you know I love you, he didn't say, ah, that's touching. He said, if you do, this is how I will know. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Don't claim to love the Lord and be indifferent about the prosperity of his message in your day. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He said to him the third time. And that's the thing about devotion. Many times we think we know. We think we have it figured. And the Lord emphasizes the same thing. Just like, you know, some of you, maybe when I started this sermon, you were like, ah, I know that already. But the emphasis is to reveal and expose some negligence. Oh, you think you know, but maybe you don't. Do you love me? And the Bible says the third time Peter was grieved. What type of question is this? It might even annoy you how many times God is asking you. And he's like, you know what? Don't be angry. Just feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Hallelujah. Here is something interesting. Some of you already know that in the Greek, there are several words that are used to describe love, and they're slightly different from context to context. So you might know of agape or agapao, you might know of eros, you might know of philia. You know, and um, Jesus said, do you agape me? Agape is talking about the sacrificial love. For instance, the love of Christ on his cross was agape, sacrificial love. You can sacrifice everything, leave everything, even to the point of death. That's agape. And Peter thinking he understands, replies, Oh Lord, you know I feel you. You see the problem? Feel you is the type of love you have for a friend. Oh, I am my guy now. And Jesus is saying, No. You're going to need total, absolute commitment. The type of love that he's requiring from you is sacrificial. Sacrificial. That should be one word that describes your devotional life. You're sacrificial in your giving. Sacrificial in your decision to pray. <clears throat> you won't always have all the time you need to pray. That's, the, that's, that's, that's what time is about. So you will give priority to the things that matter the most to you. And God demands sacrifice. Hallelujah. Another very interesting thing is, he said, do you love me more than this? And many theologians have argued what he meant by more than this. And all the points are important. You see, just moments before, they were fishing. 
and they hadn't, they hadn't caught any fish. And then a stranger appeared. It was Jesus, but they didn't know at the time. And they said, children, do you have any, move, any food? And he said, nothing. He said, cast your net to the right side. And they cast their net and they caught fish. And then John's eyes was open. He recognized Jesus and he screamed to Peter. He said, it's the Lord. And so they went in happy, having caught a great fish, had a great catch, and then they had breakfast. And then it is very strategic and important that Jesus says, do you love me more than this? You see, because many people, the benefit of their religion is for prosperity. That's the crux of their prayer life. That's all they pray about. That's all they desire. Lord, provide. Lord, bless me. Lord, heal me. And then he does. He does do these things. But you've not understood Christianity if this is the summation of your pursuits. He said, do you love me more than this? Is it about fish for you? Is it about bread for you? Do you love me more than this? Because what many people try to gain in healing is what the early church was willing to lose in persecution. Did you hear what I just said? So we believe in healing. We believe in all these things. But the real defining theology is in spite of all these things. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not famine, not nakedness, not peril, not sword. He said, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Meaning this is the metaphorical description of our lives and of our devotion. We are ready to die. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's why he said, if anyone will follow me, let him deny himself and take up a cross. Can I tell you something? If you follow God any other way, you are wrong. He said, as you're following me, carry a cross along. You might need it one day. Carry a cross along. So, this is what the rich young ruler was missing. That, listen, it is nice to celebrate, you know, supernatural provision and all these things. Ah, God is blessing me. God is so faithful. So, so you are too faithful to fail me. But the crux of true devotion is that the day the Lord says, drop this one, <laughs> you drop it. Hallelujah. And he's worth it. I mean, the person, don't be so selfish. The person we are talking about did more for you. Do you know that even if you had the opportunity to buy your own salvation, by your own sacrifice, go on the cross for yourself. Many people cannot do it. By the time they see all that is required, they say, sorry, where's the way to hellfire? 
many people will not be able to follow through till the end. And Jesus could have been distracted. He could have come with a purpose. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But after, um, uh, just marry, have children, settle down, grow old. You won't even know. Oh, there was a Messiah. You won't know. And you don't even see what is wrong. That you benefit from someone else's sacrifice. And you're not willing to do half. That's what the writer of Hebrews was challenging you about. He said, you have not yet resisted unto blood. You have not yet, yet, no one has even put a sword on your neck. And so he's challenging you. What, what, what then is the point? He said, lay aside every weight. And every sin that doth so easily beset you. And run with patience the race set before you. The people ahead of you were willing to die. Is it money you cannot give? Is it time to pray that is your issue? People lived in a time where you could be killed if you preach, and they still preached. You, what is hindering you is, you say you are shy. What is wrong with our generation? You are shy. You know, some people take Acts chapter 4 out of context, and because those guys were praying for boldness, they too, they are praying for boldness. And they don't realize how silly that is. The people who were praying for boldness, they had preached prior. And they were caught and flogged. And warned, if you preach again, we will arrest you. That's why they prayed. Nobody has laid a hand on you. You are just shy. You are holding on to your reputation. Nobody can truly follow Jesus holding on to reputation. Jesus showed us in Act 6 that you can even have many people following you and all of them will stop following you one day and that's okay. Did you hear what I just said? And it's perfectly fine. You must love him more than all this. Can I tell you something? This is a mistake ministers of the gospel must not make. That you can love the work and not love the master. You think that, I mean, you're doing it right after all. Look at all I'm doing for the ministry. But your personal relationship is suffering. He's calling, wake up, child. It's your time to shine. You were born for such a time as this. He's calling, wake up, child. It's your time to shine. You were born for such a time as this. He's calling, wake up, child. It's your time to shine. You were born for such a time as this. He's calling, listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.